of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 427. Jason Lingren is with me, and Logan Sisley returns by popular demand. Uh, we did episode 413 with Logan from Hawaii, all about farming techniques, some um, incredible information about a Korean method, which is ancient for making live soil. A lot of people uh, wanted to know more about it. So he is back by popular demand. And welcome, Jason. And another hot good morning. Yeah, the air conditioner is here, finally, in this house. God um, bless air conditioning. <laughs> I'm trying to go light before I see the first bill. But anyhow, when we did episode 413 with Logan, I I mean, I'm sure Rose did too. I got so many emails asking to have him back. We just did uh, Food for Its Abundance on growing food, and I'm getting a lot of emails about that too. So let's jump in here. Welcome, Logan. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. And you are in what part of Hawaii are you on? Are you on the Big Island? Yes, yeah, so I'm on the Big Island. That's right, called Hawaii, and I'm on the Kona side of the island, known as the dry side. Yeah, the dry side. Um, I remember that. I was actually on that island, and it's it's kind of stark difference between the two sides of the island. Kind of amazing to a mainlander. But let's jump in here. Um, we're going to cover growing techniques and other things. And I noticed you have the Korean soil making method in the notes, along with cannabis and other things. Uh, in the last episode, we covered just how difficult it was over the past two years to keep up and running, which you managed to do in Hawaii. But let's jump in with ideas about science as it applies to farming. And I'm looking at your notes, Logan. Before we get any further, Logan, let's uh, get your contact info out there. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's um, throw that out there. Institute of Natural Farming YouTube channel. So um, just type in Institute of Natural Farming channel and it'll pop up. And what we got is about 12 or 13 videos and uh, also a short um, mini documentary series called Sowing Seeds. And that's all on the YouTube channel. We're going to get into that here um, in this uh, podcast today a little deeper. And then also just at Institute of Natural Farming on Instagram is the quickest way to get a hold of me. And also www.instituteofnaturalfarming.com would be just a landing page website and a email link. Awesome, Logan. Thank you. Let's uh, get into it. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I got um, science and I have it in the notes here. It's not a cult by any means, but a way to understand the creation. So I think we've lost base with the, with the whole idea of what science even is. And um, this sh- uh, note actually stemmed from a recent conversation I had with another farmer that is really into um, soil analysis and soil testing and kind of using different chemicals to, uh, to offset that soil test to, to do what he thought was like a perfect soil. And anyway, he was kind of arguing the point that um, that we need scientific white papers and peer-reviewed studies to back up what we're doing here in this farming world. And and although I do agree with that to a certain extent, I feel that the getting your hands dirty and getting in the in the uh, environment on the farm in the greenhouse and actually doing the work and witnessing this is how we're going to have the best proof. And that's what I meant by it's right here. I'm going to read the definition of science just so we're all not led astray by the white coats, you know? So here's straight out of Webster's Dictionary. The intellectual and practical activities encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical world through observation and experimentation. So that's science defined by Webster's Dictionary. And if you apply that to what we're doing here with especially Korean natural farming, permaculture design, we're observing and experimenting with nature on a daily basis. So for someone to argue that there's no science backing up any of these methods is, is really just a, a really brainwashed, low-minded way to uh, approach farming. And I think um, we need to kind of put an end to that argument and move forward with what works. So let's be clear here. Uh, from the definition that you just read, it flat out states this is the physical world. Yeah. This is not the spiritual world. And I think this is a, a lot where people 
start having trouble with scientism is scientism starts to be a bit religious where they don't even follow the process of proofs and peer review and all that. They just come up with something which is what we believe now. But it's it's a, a key point. This is the physical world they're describing. And I know you're a farmer and I know you're going to say, I don't know, is it 50 percent what what you do dealing with the spiritual aspects of this world? How, how much would you say is actual hard physical scientific type things and how much of it is spiritual? That's a great observation, Crow, that you just pointed out that this definition is strictly telling you that science has to do with physicality. Weighing and measuring, right? Right. It has to be tangible. And what we're dealing with in farming is is a lot in the untangible and the unseen. We're relying on on uh, these microbes and these uh, root hairs and, and the unseen reality. You know, Steiner obviously gets deep into this. And the, the sun and the moon and the stars, the alignment of the cosmos. And yeah, I mean, we're talking percentage-wise, easily 50-50, if not leaning more, more towards the unseen and the spiritual, that you have to have this faith that um, we're going to eat, you know, and that something's going to continue to grow and cells are going to form and structures are going to take place that we have no control over. So it's an odd thing because uh, one, one thing that jumps out at me, we did a, an episode on bamboo. I was big into bamboo at one time. It's one of the most amazing plants. The uses go, I mean, you can't even really quantify the uses easily, but they were telling us, well, we know to harvest this bamboo at the certain moon phase and it won't rot. And there were things about the grass. So from a scientific point of view, we could easily say in this period of a month, you're going to get the best results. And you could quantify, look, this one rotted, look, this one didn't. You could go through the process, but this is where the problem comes in. What is it about the moon? And that starts to become spiritual. And that's really a thing you can't weigh and measure. So I agree with you um, to get white papers and do real hard science. That's a benefit. And here's the reason why. This world has systems and they are so well ingrained that to try to go against them creates so many problems. And I'll use KL as an example. So many people down on law, but at the end of the day, the most successful results from the law point of view have been people that use the system as it is now, just knowing how to use it. In other words, they're not throwing the system out. They're not kicking against the system. They're getting the system to actually generate paperwork or whatever it is they need, which the system then accepts. And I think maybe that could be applied to what we're talking about here. Totally. Totally. It's just like that other guest that you had, um, you know, how to sue in court and win. Even this isn't even a man-made system. We're dealing with a God-made natural system that we need to just participate in instead of trying to control and manipulate. So great point. Well, this is part of the problem too, the social engineering, right? Scientists don't have anything to do with religion and religious people have very little to do with science. And that's a shortcoming. The world as a whole and the older I get and the more things I know, uh, the one idea like Walter Russell was putting on the table, I, I accept it all day long. And I think we need to get back to these ideas. Like if you went to do science on the farming you're doing and did the white papers and do it, did it in a strictly scientific way. I think that's a benefit for you, but at the same time, you've got to start pushing towards, hey, man, there's this whole influence from the sky clock that can't necessarily be quantified easily. Um, maybe it can. Who knows? No, I totally agree. I mean, these white papers do have some weight in, in certain circles, um, but we always need to remember kind of like that, you know, that, that Hollywood movie that came out. Uh, based upon something that was supposed to be real of uh, the men staring at goats idea, the idea of the conscious observer, you know, is going to is going to manipulate and have a way upon an experiment no matter what. So just that alone shows if your mind has has weight on an experiment, imagine what the placement of the sun or the phase of the moon or the time of the year has on on a given experiment you know so yeah these are the things that are unquantifiable like you said although i would point out that what you're pointing out was absolutely quantified uh by science and i hope i don't get this wrong was it the light slit experiment mm -hmm. it was an experiment with light and they proved flat out that the observer changes the outcome 
Plus, there are other maxims in science that, that admit that just by observing, you've influenced things. But what I've noticed within the farming community, and this goes back decades and decades, some of the most spiritual people I've met, they're growing cannabis. They are in love with just the diversity and the complexity and the overall, just so many uses of cannabis. And look what's happened. When I was young, I think maybe there was 6% THC in the dope we were smoking when I was young. I meet people today that are growing it and they say, hey, we've got this up to 33 or 34%. Um, They've been working with it, but it's always from the more, they, they do the physical things, but it's from a spiritual point of view uh, that I noticed the overall process is uh, is held in their regard. Yeah, there's something special again about that plant that's been with humans and humanity. I think I think it was one in one from creation. The plant has so many benefits to the uh, human body. We're kind of like almost like I mean, not the that might not be the right word, but we evolved together, grew together, adapted together. There's a documentary out there that came out probably about 10 or 15 years ago that follows a few of the um, the most beneficial plants to humankind. And I think, or maybe not the most beneficial, but it was basically showing these plants that man has basically took all around the world with them. And cannabis was one of them. I believe they covered the apple um, and a few other plants, but look up that documentary. I'll try to remember and put it in the show notes, but um, it's basically showing how cannabis was brought with man everywhere he went on the planet and how cannabis has adapted to almost every single climate on the planet to be grown as well. It's pretty amazing. Well, do you remember, Jason, we did a couple episodes. The word I can't say, cannabinoids, is that right? Uh, Someone was telling us that almost every system in the human body has cannabinoids. Cannabinoids, I think. Yes. Who was that? Do you remember? Uh, that was something I brought up last show that the cannabinoid system is just like almost like you could think of it as the immune system or even like your circulatory system or your bone system. It's a system that's in our body from head to toe that is, is you know, uh, cannabis is one of the only plants besides when you're born, mother's milk, when you die, that the cannabinoid system is even activated. So mother's milk is one of the main sources that activates your cannabinoid system. And just think of a baby after she gets done nursing or he gets done nursing. They're in this kind of state of like bliss, you know, because they that, that whole system has been activated. Their brain is now functioning on a different level. So, yeah, it's, it's really important that this plant has been in the care of man ever since we can uh, think of how far we can go back. So. We got to really, uh, you know, hold it in a high regard and not let these uh, corporate entities just kind of smash and grab for it, you know? Well, we've had homeopaths come on time and time again and point out that before cannabis became the corporate marijuana and legalized, that it was the lion's share of what went into homeopathic remedies. But I would ask, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? So if we could go back far enough in time, would we find the human body has these receptors? Or is it more likely that the interaction between cannabis, the plant, and a living man or a living woman developed in tandem over Lord knows, you know, millennium, who knows? Uh, and I think the later, of, latter of those two uh, descriptions is probably correct. But let's mention the book too. For everyone listening, I mention a lot of books on this podcast, and it's my hope that if you have the wherewithal and a few extra bucks to throw at books, that you will grab every one of them and hide them away, even if you're not going to read them now. Uh, It is my feeling on the trajectory we are now, uh, digital information will create a world where nothing is really known outright, uh, because we'll be tied to search returns and the social ratings on uh, on information. So what is the book you'd like to put out there? So I got a couple book plugs, but the one we're going to get into today is called The Hidden Half of Nature. And um, that book is uh, is all about microorganisms. It's called The Hidden World Beneath Your Feet, I think is the alternative name. And basically, it's a man and a woman, a doctor and a geologist who basically break down what microorganisms do and what their role is in the world. And that's actually the, uh, the first class that I did at the, at the Institute as well. And so um, that book's going to reveal a lot because it came out before 2020 
and it is already pointing out germ theory without even going there. It's showing you that it's that's the real deal. So that book's really important. All right. That one's called The Hidden Half of Nature. So let's jump in. Uh, let's get into the world of microorganisms, bacteria, fungi. I'm going to say a word here. And this word has caused so much trouble, viruses. Here's the problem as I see it currently. I've spoke with some of the best homeopaths I could probably ever meet in the world who will say viruses do in fact exist. They're not what the, the mainstream is using that word for. That is not correct. But what they are saying, and I've spoke to three or four of them now, and one of them is a healer at a level that I didn't even think was possible in this world. Royal Raymond Rife had microscopes that saw things when they were alive and he called them viruses supposedly and he also figured out what frequencies would affect them so here's the problem in our world we say viruses and most people who have trying to even think their mind shuts down so in the course of this discussion if we say the word virus let's just assume that whatever royal raymond rife was looking at when it was still alive was properly named a virus and it carries almost none of the attributes that the mainstream uses. So there's my big tee up, Logan. So basically, um, from my under, my current understanding of that word, it's I really kind of simplified it a lot after doing a lot of research, listening to a lot of your shows. And a, basically, a virus to me at this point is uh, is an as a unidentified microorganism. It's basically all it is. Is it's something that that science can't define, so they just throw a, a, a you know a false label on it and call it a virus. So that's kind of where I'm looking at it nowadays, even more than the uh, than the uh, cellular fragment of of waste and all these kind of ideas, which I also uh, take very much interest in. It's basically just they can't they can't name it, they can't identify it. Oh, call it a virus. That's where I'm looking at it. It seems like every mainstream use seems to be pointing at what we would call a dead fragment of something. And what I am hearing is that with a microscope that never gets used, that looks at living things, uh, as a matter of fact, I've had people tell me most of what goes on in the medical industry is looking at dead things. I don't know that much about it, but apparently uh, there were people using microscopes that looked at living things, and they also figured out how they could stop them with resonant frequencies. So that's what I know. Yep, cymatics. Yep. Okay, we'll just jump in and uh, and talk about what we do know, <laughs> and there that's uh, that's these methods of uh, farming, which uh, which I've kind of put in the the term microbial husbandry on because um, you know just like how we have animal husbandry or you have human husbandry of being a husband to your family or being a husband to your animals. We're doing the same thing here with this um, natural farming methods of microbial husbandry. Another word that I use is microbial shepherding. So just how, how a shepherd will move his flock around. Well, we're going to tend and grow these microbes and kind of move them around our farm and tell them where to go and tell them where to live and tell them where to multiply. So it's really cool. I just like to put those kind of concepts in people's minds uh, when we dive into these farming methods. Again, the Hidden Half of Nature book, everything Crow was just talking about in the last five minutes, it's all covered in the Hidden Half of Nature book. Um, you got to check out that book. It's also an audio book. It'll blow your mind because, it, like I said, it's written post-2020, and it pretty much is, is going in on, on germ theory without saying so and showing that the whole idea of one microbe for every disease, and that's the cause of it, is just false medical blasphemy, basically. So check out that book much smarter than me when it comes to the science and and this whole like breakdown the woman you know she's she's got a background in science so check that one out um and then i want to get really into this idea of good versus bad microbes and the five percent rule so really in my understanding and what i teach is good and bad microbes so really there's no such thing as a bad microbe there's just microbes doing their God-ordained job. So microbes are the cleansers of this planet. They clean things. They, uh, they digest things. They bring things anew, right? So they're, they're basically like the super agents of our planet. So if you study guys like Paul Stamens, who's the, who's the mushroom guru guy, he's telling you how these things are, are basically have been our, our super allies 
ever since humans, you know, uh, digesting food, making plants grow, destroying and composting things. So what I want to get into, I'm going to jump right back to this, but I think this is a good leeway into the mind of a natural farmer. And I just want to talk about microbes really quick and stay on this subject. But if you think about the Hawaiian word for fungus or mushroom is the Hawaiian word for fungus and mushroom is akua. Okay. Akua. And then if you check out that word and you look in deeper into that word, if you look up the word for God or for creator, the word is also akua. So these ancients understood the word for God and the word for microbe or fungus or mushroom are the same exact word. So I just want to get people into the mindset that what, what is, what are these microbes? What are they, what's their job? Well, they're, they're actually doing creator, sustainer, destroyer. They're, they're the triune Trinity on earth that you can witness and feel. So I just kind of, we're going to get more into that a little later, but I just wanted to give people that background of how special these guys are and to show you that there's not really any bad microbes. They're just microbes doing their job. So, you know, if you got like an infection or something, the microbes, they're trying to clean up all that inflammation and get rid of all that stuff. And, you know, so we can't always give them the uh, sinister thing and, and um, jumping into the 5% rule. So on any, uh, any farm or any plot or in any soil, greenhouse, whatever you're trying to achieve uh, agriculturally, if you go and you check out the soil and you were to analyze it, there's about 80% of what we call neutral microbes. And then we got, and this is just general on on any given plot of land or or on a farm or a garden. And then we usually got about 10% of what we consider bad guys or maybe guys that want to infiltrate and attack a plant in, in uh, do some damage to it. And then we got 10% what we had called good guys. So if you can kind of look at this uh, visually, you got 80% in the middle, 10% bad, 10% good, generally speaking about microbes on a given plot of land. So as a natural farmer, what we want to do is come in here and influence the 80% neutral microbes because they're just kind of neutral. They're just waiting for instruction. So if, if the plot of land is getting sprayed with chemicals and getting sprayed with, uh, with fungicides and herbicides and all these things, well, guess what? Those super gnarly, tough, kind of digestive, tough uh, microbes are going to start to take over and they're going to start uh, to tell the, um, the other microbes, hey, let's go attack that plant. Let's go make ring spot virus on that plant. Let's go put down, downy mildew on that plant because the defenses are down in that area. So these 10% of bad guys can start influencing the neutral microbes. And the more I talk about this, think about humans too. <laughs> so, um, so what we want to do as natural farmers is come out. And that's why the last episode, we talked about this compost tea inoculant because we're spraying these good guys out there. We're cultivating these good guys, these super microbes, these, these really cleansing and, and life-giving microbes. And we're going to spray those guys out there on a consistent basis until we influence, start influencing that 80% to go good. So here's the 5% rule. All we need is about 15% influence of good microbes to transfer the 80% to all good. So with just a 5% over um, the 10% of good, and these are all just, just arbitrary numbers just to get your mind around the idea that I'm trying to put forth. So once we got the majority telling the rest of the neutral microbes, hey, we're going to let the plants grow healthy, we're going to bioremediate the soil, we're going to increase nutrient uptake to these plants. Once we got that messaging going out there, the 80% of neutral microbes just naturally become those beneficial microbes. And then the, the, what you consider the bad guys, the downy mildews and the the ring spot and all these kind of guys just start to, to go away because there's no room for them anymore. There's no place for them in there. This is done with the Korean tea? Yes, sir. I mean, that, that's definitely one super method to get to that, to that point. But there's several ways to do that with, uh, with regular compost tea, earthworm casting teas, with um, compost itself. So uh, the Korean natural farming method, you're, 
basically just speeding up this whole process. Should we cover it again? So there's three, there's, you know, you've got the compost and compost tea worm castings, which is a big deal. I've seen that done. And the tea that's made from the worm castings. And then the Korean method, should should we outline these in hour one or did you have some of this listed for hour two? It's all going to be, it's all going to be talked about here, but we could, we could uh, go into um, creating that compost pile again. I think you, you blew a lot of minds when you started to show how you actually begin and implement the Korean, the ancient Korean method. So many people were just blown away by it. It's basically alchemy, by the way. Yeah, totally. And last time on the last episode, I think it was 413, we talked about actually creating that super compost uh, pile yep. and then y- using that super compost to make your liquid uh, indigenous microorganism tea and spray it. And now that compost tea can be made with uh, with really uh, good, you know, backyard compost that you made. It could be also made with the worm castings is you're just going to get different microbial sets, but all these are going to be super positive sets. The Korean natural farming method itself is a really detailed method of, of going into an apex forest and extracting the super microbes or the elder microbes or the highly evolved microbes and bringing them down from the apex forest, cultivating them on your farm and then spraying them out on a weekly or a monthly basis to do that switchover that we just talked about. Now in the Korean natural farming method, that super compost is the number one component, but we also have eight other core nutrients. So there's a phosphate solution that we make. There's a calcium solution that we make. There's a plant food uh, fertilizer that we make. And the list kind of keeps going on. We could get into those in detail if we'd like to. Sure. And uh, we could cover those. Okay. so. So the um, in Korean natural farming, we got the nine core. We've kind of covered the indigenous microorganism, and um, the calcium is basically taking crushed eggshell, or in Hawaii we use crushed coral. You could use um, crushed oyster shell. So basically, I even have gone and used snail shells before. Before, so it's any of these these natural occurring elements in nature that contain high amounts of calcium. What we do is we uh, we roast it, and so all all these recipes. I'm just going to briefly go through them, but they're in detail on on the um, all over the web, and and I'll put links in the show notes. But anyway, the calcium. What we do is we roast it. So now we're talking about alchemy again because we want the we want this the calcium to convert from this roasting to like this this pyro. It's there's a scientific name for it, but anyway, you roast the the eggshell or the coral. And it also burns off any of the organic matter so your solution won't rot after you make it. And once you got this roasted eggshell, you're pouring it into vinegar, one, uh, one to 10, one part eggshell to 10 part vinegar. And it's what you'll instantly see is kind of like when we were kids and we did the vinegar with baking soda and you get the volcano effect. Is that by weight or volume, one to 10? By volume. By volume, okay. Yep. And so what you're going to get is, is this bubbling effect. and and it's really cool. I love doing this. is my favorite one to show children when we teach uh, children these farming classes because it's that volcano effect. And really what that effect is, is um, calcium dissolving into a weak acid. So in this case, the vinegar, which we're using live apple cider vinegar or brown rice vinegar or, um, or vinegar that you made yourself, that's actually one of the other inputs is fruit vinegar that, that you make yourself. But anyway, you're using that vinegar and uh, that that bubbling is the calcium dissolving into solution. So now you have a, a high calcium solution to feed your plants with for basically little to no money. And that's just one of the of the other eight solutions. So let me ask you a couple questions. Here in Rhode Island, we have a lot of clams, quahogs, things like that. I could go down to the beach and I could collect slipper shells by the bucket full. Is it important to wash them to get the salt off or do you want that salt from the ocean on them? That's a great question. So in Korean natural farming, we use a lot of ocean minerals. Seawater is also one of the inputs we could get into. But to answer your question directly, you're probably going to want to rinse them in that case and then crush them and then roast them. Okay. So if you're collecting shells yourself, I mean, the rinsing isn't like, it's not like a Dutch, like super important or anything, but just to kind of get to that final product and then be able to roast it. 
So you're removing a little bit of salt. The, the reason I asked yeah. is like, I had all these cracks in my driveway and like the grass was coming up and pushing the driveway apart. And I had a bright idea. I'm going to go down to the beach with some gallon jugs, grab some of that salty water. I'm going to pour it on those cracks and those pesky weeds are going to go away. You know what happened? Nothing. So <laughs> I went back down and I said, well, clearly I didn't get enough salt water. So I did the whole thing again. You know what happened? They yellowed slightly. It was at that point that I realized all these plants grew up near to the ocean. And I guess there's not enough salt, but with the rinse you described, I imagine the main reason is to just rinse a little bit of the salt off. Yeah. Yeah. It would just be for processing. Uh, not really the salt itself doesn't have any harm. It's actually beneficial that let me jump over to one of the other inputs, which is seawater. Seawater is actually one of our Korean natural farming inputs. And it's a very important one. It can turn, uh, uh, highly acidic soil into a alkaline soil really fast. Mm. And what we recommend in uh, Korean natural farming is a one to 30 ratio. So if you had one gallon of seawater, you put it into 30 gallons of water and then water your garden with it. Then you water your fruit trees with it. Because once we got the salinity at one to 30 in, uh, in ocean water to fresh water, guess what? We're now in the same salinity as human blood. We're now in the same salinity as plant blood. So um, think about the human body. Think about when you cry. Think about when uh, you taste your blood. Think of, uh, I mean, I don't taste urine, but if you tasted urine, the, the, the thing of, of all these is they have what? Salt. So, so your body is, is extrude, it, it's exuding salts all the time. So um, point being that the ocean water contains every mineral known to man in the ocean water and in the ocean water it also contains those minerals in ratio that's beneficial to life on the land so what um master cho talks about is he talks about in the book of genesis about what does it say it said in the beginning was the waters and then the the i forget what day the third day the 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 land comes out of the water right this is how it's talked about in this, this ancient creation story. And the land comes out of the ocean. So what Master Cho says is we need to remind the land of its mother. So when we bring seawater diluted to our farm, we're actually giving its mother back to it. So it's reminding the land of its mother is how he puts it, which I like that visual. So there's a few things you said there and the seawater thing, you're doing one to 10. I have a mentor and I've been learning some basics on, on actual real life alchemy you can use. And what you're describing reminds me of it. If, you, if anyone out there has bought cell salts, you'll notice there's like a number, but if it's a low number, it's more potent than a higher number that has to do with dilutions or that would be dilutions if it was liquid. One dilution is nine parts to one, two dilutions is nine parts twice to one. Um, but then there's a vibration that's also used. But what, it, what fascinates me is Paracelsus basically said, everything's got poison in it. It's just amount of dosage. It's just down to dosage, whether it's harmful or whether it's useful. And the other thing is he mentioned, and this is a critical thing to people, like a lot of people go out and they, they see part of nature they don't care for. And they think, oh, I wish all those would die. Paracelsus had a saying, which I don't remember exactly. Every weed, no matter how noxious, every animal, no matter how offensive, were put here by the creator and they're here for a reason and they have their uses and their things they do. But your dilution there, that is completely one of the most basic alchemical principles that I've learned. And in the way I'm learning it, one dilution would be one part to nine. Wow, that's interesting. In, in other words, you could take something like hemlock or let's make arsenic, which is a poison. With vibration and dilution, you could turn that into a treatment for maybe arsenic poisoning or other things. So I don't think most of us think that way. So you're telling me I could take this noxious poison, dilute it a certain number of times, vibrate it, and come up with useful remedies. And it's true. It works. And I think that's why we, we need to change the way we think. Because most people would say, I'm not putting seawater on my garden. It'll kill it like I did. I'm going to put it on these on this pesky grass. It didn't do much of anything to it. So I get what you're laying down and I know how many good things are in seawater. So I'm going to try it by the way. 
Yeah, you should do that. It's a one to 30 actually for this, that to get it to the same salinity as your blood, but yeah, you, you should definitely use it. And especially any acidic soil or any soil lacking minerals, it's like an instant boost of minerals. And then the microbes in there are going to be the ones that break down the minerals to make it plant available. Now, a couple of things that you said there about something being poisonous in natural farming, I teach about a stress curve. So there's a there's something called a stress curve to a plant, and every plant has a different stress curve, every farm and every greenhouse and every plot. But what the stress curve is, is a certain amount of stress actually is beneficial to the plant. So like you said, like the, the thing in its right dilution or its right ratio, even though overdone can be a poison, is going to be beneficial to the plant. So certain stressors, you know, people bend plants over or they'll kink a plant or they'll do, you'll cut off this limb or that limb. These are ways to do micro stressing to get better production. So it's kind of an interesting thing that nature has built in to its uh, success. You know, I'm starting to have kind of a, a different view of like what we would call ancient farming. I'm starting to realize it's quite possible that their farms were way more productive. We know they're, they're much healthier than what we're growing now. I mean, look at the whole thing Clive talked about cancers didn't exist anywhere up to a point. And I, what was it, Chase? Do you remember people coming from, it was either India, I think it was India or Africa weren't getting cancers, but when they left India, all of a sudden they started getting cancers. So he set about to figure out why, what he finally came up with is there was no magnesium left in the world's soil. And there just happened to be magnesium available where they'd come from. There were no cancers. And these, these are really the key points about what you're saying. So we could go to the supermarket and a lot of people who grow vegetables will tell you, I can't even eat a supermarket, you know, tomato tastes like water, tastes like red water. Um, I grow them in my garden and they're good. So what you're saying could be considered the difference between cancers and other things. In other words, a plant properly grown with proper nutrition uh, in a natural way could actually stave off some of the most noxious diseases we contend with. And by the way, almost everybody gets cancer in our society now. Of course. And if you think about that, you can't tell me that's not by design. That's why I think they, they know a lot more than we've been, obviously, than we've been revealed to. And that, that kind of brings me to this next point. Like there's a, there's actually a war on microbes out there that just like, how would they know that if they depleted certain uh, minerals in our soil, that then that food would be rendered unbeneficial, you know, like, like you were just stating and we, we, in natural farming, there's a couple of people that are trying to come up with this. Uh, it's like a tester where you can actually test the nutrients of say a tomato on the shelf oh, wow. and a vision, a vision for the future would be you walk into a store and just how like a, um, how you get on a, on a processed food, it tells you how many of this and that's in there. But what if you walked into a store and, the, and you said this, this load of tomatoes has this much calcium, this much iron and this one. So the future we could instead of having dead depleted food we could actually be in a competition for who can make the most nutritious food because it's going to fetch the most value or give the most value to humanity you got me i'm on your bandwagon if we had tools like that um, that would be true pushback if the stores knew they weren't selling cuz people knew how crappy their food was yeah i think that's something that could be coming in a, in a wise future you know when people like us start to uh, to make some of the rules. <laughs> and by the way, I'll tell you how they know. Recently, I've had other windows into places that I would never know much of anything about if I didn't read it in a book. Almost all the the people we would refer to as elite, almost all of them have a homeopath as their doctor. Mm -hmm. They do no allopathy. And so what I've been learning about homeopathics, the idea behind it is Every single thing, every malady, every illness is curable with the exception of one, which is mental retardation. That's the one that cannot be cured with homeopathy. But what that tells you when you're fixing people at that level, you're addressing things like, well, I know you don't have magnesium or things like this. So basically those people have the old records. I think that's how they know. The older records knew damn well that this kind of soil was depleting the food in this way. I agree a hundred percent. And that that's why I truly feel the knowledge has been so usurped and hidden that they, that whoever these world controllers are, 
they have a war. They know that the microbe is our super ally in health. They know the microbe is critical to the health of the environment, thus the health of the human. So these people have an, a covert war on microbes. And this is just like a revelation that I try to teach people because think about their assault. Think about the assault with um, allopathic medicine, with chemical farming, with, uh, with the uh, chemtrails. Like you got to think that the, if the microbes keep us healthy, and they're doing farming methods and and uh, and uh, medical practices that eliminate microbes that don't even use microbes in the process. Somebody knows something. Somebody knows that there's a there's the microbes are basically like I explained before God in a you know in a way that you could wrap your mind around these things sustain life, create life, and destroy life. Like think about. If you knew this, wouldn't you try to eliminate them if that's what kept humans healthy, sane, and the environment healthy and sane? So I think that they, they know exactly what they're doing with this uh, 2020 nonsense and the sanitize your hand, spray spray down every street light. In China, they're like spraying down the streets with, with, uh, with some kind of soap uh, chemical thing. So I got to tell people stop avoiding microbes and start avoiding chemicals. That's, that's the big takeaway that I got from, from point number one here is you guys need to stop worrying so much about microbes. And I'm talking about the world out there and we need to start being conscious of chemicals and what they're doing to our microbiome, to our terrain and stop blaming these, these microscopic godlike organisms. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's unreal what they've done. They've marketed it. You know, uh, halitosis, the idea of bad breath, uh, the, the Latin word was lifted by, I think it was Listerine or one of the mouthwash places. They invented that halitosis was a disease. And I forget what it was. You can't know you've got it, but everyone else can smell you. And so they got mouthwash. Used to be, Jason and I covered this, we had pretty much two meals a day. A third fatty meal was marketed into us. Washing yourself every day. That did not used to go on in this country. You took a shower when you needed it or once or twice a week. And washing off all the microbes, as you're saying, uh, is not so healthy for your skin. But I was standing at CVS, I don't know, two weeks ago, because I usually don't even go into CVS anymore. Almost everybody that walked in went over to their canister chemicals. And some people were rubbing the disinfectant all the way up their arms. And, and breathing their own exhaust fumes. And I thought, my God, you know, these marketing schemes, just they change everything. You know, that can't be good for you. Rubbing all that sanitizer into your skin over and over and over during a day. I'm just saying it's crazy. Yeah, man. I even looked up the ingredients on some of these sanitizers and some of them are actually carcinogens. So people really, really this war on microbes, this marketing plan, a full-blown marketing scheme that they've been putting on you is affecting people's minds and really detrimental to their health. How many people over 30 have eczema? That's kind of like a new trend. I see the, yeah. on the, the commercials of, of trying to get rid of eczema. What's that from? That's from over showering, over using these super harsh detergents and, and destroying your, your microbiome of your skin, you know, and then allowing, just like we went back to that, that 5% rule, allowing what would be considered a bad microbe to take over because really he's just trying to balance out your situation that you keep killing back with all these crazy uh, industrial detergents, you know, and even Listerine that used to be an industrial cleaner that, that whatever this Lister guy put into a bottle and sold you to clean your mouth with, you know, I had a dentist tell me, don't ever use any mouthwash with alcohol in it because it becomes a carcinogen at some point. Yeah. But here's another one. I was reading I was reading a thing like years ago and there was like this murder thing going on. This lady was murdering her husbands and she'd been through two or three of them or something like this. And she kept getting paid because nobody realized it was a murder. And then it was said she was taking Visine and putting drops of Visine in their food. And that's what kills them. And that, you know, I never forgot that. I thought, I said, is that really, because when I was a kid, we were out getting stoned. You put Visine in your eyes. I said, is that stuff really that toxic? My rule of thumb now, if it's in a CVS, I'm not interested unless it's a Band-Aid. 
or something like that. I just don't use the box products anymore because I'm old enough to remember how my grandparents lived. You know, they had calamine lotion and an aspirin. That was about what they used. <laughs> Iodine, you know, things, things like that. Yeah, they, just simple, simple methods. But you made me think of something that, uh, that I wanted to bring up about how, how fascinating these microbes are. You made me think of this. Uh, there's these microbes out there that mainstream scientists have done studies on that they've actually found that they control the minds of sheep. Um, basically, what they'll do is they'll hitch a ride on, uh, on the back of ants and crawl to the tip of these grass um, petals where the, the sheep are going to eat it. So basically what they'll do is they'll infect the ant to carry and tell the ant. So basically what they do is they infect their host and mind control them and, and they'll tell the ant to go rest on the top of this piece of grass because they know what they want to do is get into the belly of the sheep. But the way to get there is have the ant carry them up the, the blade of grass so they, the ant can be eaten. So the ant actually sacrifices itself for this uh, fungi, this particular fungi to infect the sheep because that's where it wants to live. So just thinking about that, the power of these microbes to manipulate the minds of sentient beings, think about humans now and think about the microbes in their gut. Think about the microbes in their injections. Think about what's going on inside their body and if these things have the the intelligence or the the know-how to control sentient beings well what's controlling you and your mind and how clear are your thoughts and how much of them are your own and how much of them are being controlled by these you know this is just ideas i don't know the facts here but think about this if these microbes can mind control insects and other mammals what what's going on in your gut and what's going on with your depression and your happiness and all these things. These and this is all still proven science. And you don't you don't think the people who studied this ended up having their stuff lifted? You don't think there's some secret closet somewhere where they're doing it? By the way, anyone who thinks we're talking nonsense, I think the species of mushrooms, if I remember correctly, is cordyceps. Look up cordyceps. That's with a C, two C's. It's S-E-P-T-S, I think, at the end. Cordyceps. Uh, zombie mushroom, do a search for that. And it, it will blow your mind. As a matter of fact, it will take over the brainstem of an ant and it will control its actions. And the other ants know when it's been infected and they carry them like a hundred feet away to dump them away from the, just, just look up cordyceps mushrooms and mind control. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about here. It really is mind blowing. And, and to think of the implications of that on a, on a, as you go up the food chain and as this, you know, the species get, get bigger and when, what that could mean to us, you know? No, it's unreal. As a matter of fact, I saw a program on that where they got infected and it was like, it was like a horror movie. The ant eventually goes to some place because it's been directed to her. It does something the mushroom wanted it to. And this mushroom sprouts out of its forehead. Yeah. It's, it's like a horror show, man. It's like, oh my God. And then you think about cravings, you know, you think about addictions and cravings, you know, especially food cravings and addictions. And, and is it you that's a craving the, uh, the highly processed food or is it the, the microbiome that you've switched over to be these, these crazy, uh, you know, weirdo microbes that are digesting McDonald's and stuff. And then are they telling you to eat more McDonald's? This is where my mind goes, that, that you're actually being mind controlled to eat this food because you have to satiate these microbes that you are so imbalanced with. You know, it's, it's just a thought. Well, Clive took a run at that too. And he was said something to the effect of the heaviest people you meet are starving to death, yep. which is why they keep eating because their body's saying, you know, I don't have enough nutrients. And so they eat things and the nutrients aren't there. So they eat more things. So what are the big ideas that we want to get into the, uh, the, the end of our one Logan, I really want, you know, I wanted to break down the alchemical method to make some of these things, you know, I wanted to do what we did in the last one, but bust down the Korean method or break down the Korean method. We didn't get that much into worms last time. And that is amazing. In San Diego, there was a huge problem with white fly and they had these giant, what were they? They were like red something. They called the, the worms red. They were huge, you know, like three quarters of a foot 
or something. And they made uh, the castings. Then they made the tea with the castings. Then they sprayed the plants and the white fly was gone. And you could see in the same garden, this thing that had just been assaulted by white fly and leaf spot and other things. And the one right next to it was just as green and as perfect as can be. So in hour two, I'd like to get those, but how do you want to wrap up hour one? Yeah, maybe we'll just let the people know what's coming up in hour two. Basically trying to go through some of these offerings that we have on the YouTube channel, just so people know what they're getting into. I had a lot of questions uh, come my way after the last episode of which ones to watch and exactly what's in them. So I wanted to kind of break that down, but cool. Definitely. Uh, just to finish up here with, uh, with the food thing, maybe I'll, I'll just wrap up with bullet point number two. Um, we did a class called how to eat to live. And I actually had a, uh, a farmer named John balloon. Who's a, who's an old school farmer from the big Island. And he's at supernatural agriculture on Instagram. And he knows all the history because he's been farming since the sixties. And he's been around watching the GMO thing unroll and watching the Roundup thing unroll and has been an advocate against it for a long time. So I just want to recommend people go watch his episode of Sowing Seeds. And um, he really he breaks down, you know, what a GMO really is. And because we think that it's like this cartoon where they're splicing open this thing and inserting a gene and sewing it back together and we got these cartoons in our heads that they've been propaganda uh, pro using propaganda to get us with but it's far more sinister than that they're shooting they're taking a, a a molecule wrapping it in gold and shooting it at this other chain of uh, of dna and hoping that something grab like it's it's really frankenstein so just want people to really kind of be on the lookout for these roundups and these gmo franken foods and just kind of letting people know, like we were just talking about the microbes kind of in your belly and the food that we're giving them. So again, like I talked about last episode, we don't really feed the plant, we feed the soil and uh, the soil microbes end up feeding the plant. Well, you can just take that right over to yourself too. stop. Uh, if you think about feeding yourself, instead think about what can I feed the microorganisms in my belly that's in turn going to feed me and help me be the strongest, healthiest human I can be, just like the plant kingdom. And uh, if we start thinking like this, no longer are you going to want to shove a McDonald's burger down your throat or a, or a super high corn syrup drink like a Coke or a Pepsi down your throat because you're not just satiating your, uh, your own um, desires, but you're actually feeding the little microorganisms that in turn are going to break down the nutrients that can be absorbed by your intestines and feed yourself and keep your brain functioning, your heart functioning, your liver functioning, your blood circulating. So if we start just thinking about these things on a different level, that we're not actually just satiating our hunger pains and our, our own ambitions and our own uh, you know cravings and instead we need to get these this 5% rule of getting the good microbes in our belly to give us the right messaging so we start eating the right foods and instead of that craving coming up that sugary donut thing's going to actually look disgusting to you that that conventional uh, farmed food is going to look disgusting the fountain drink will no longer be able to go in your belly because the microbes don't accept it so that's kind of my message here with the food and with the microbes uh, in our one so jason we were talking a few days ago what was it you said to be jason what's the difference between an American McDonald's French fry and a European McDonald's French fry. <laughs> Tell yeah. everyone the difference. <laughs> well, let's just say the one in the UK is a, a fried potato with salt. <laughs> Not so much the American one. So here's the thing. Jason and I did a couple shows, one specifically on GMOs and roundups. Here's some of the claims, which I think may have been substantiated. Some of the hacking of the plants have actually taken supposedly insect, what we would call insect DNA and gotten it into the plant. So they've crossed, I don't know, what do you want to say? A species with species. You know how you're not supposed to be able to have babies unless you're within the same species. So they're taking a grasshopper or something and mixing it with an ear of corn would be the idea. But here's the thing. The GMO ready crops, just so everybody knows what we're talking about here. If you have Roundup, and you go into a crop that's just a crop and you say all these pesky bugs and weeds need to go and you spray your roundup or whatever it is, everything pretty much dies. 
the Roundup Ready crops that are GMO, they can spray all day long with Roundup and they just grow just fine. So in other words, another way to say that would be they've created a crop that can live in a poison environment. So everything else gets whacked, the insects, the, the weeds, all the things around this particular crop, but the crop is being sprayed too. And so living in an environment, the idea here is you're not just going to take a brush and scrub it off. I mean, it's inundated with this stuff. These are some of the claims. Anyhow, Logan, I'm going to wrap it up. Tell people where they can find you one more time, please, for hour one. All right. So for any uh, quick questions or to get a hold of me, um, the quickest is going to be that Instagram page at Institute of Natural Farming. You can also check out the landing page of a website at www.instituteofnaturalfarming.com. It has an email link for any more serious inquiries. And um, yeah, check out the YouTube channel, Institute of Natural Farming, for all these informational videos, lectures, and video casts that we did. All right. So that's it for hour one. In hour two, we're going to redefine the Korean. It's basically garden alchemy. It just is. When you hear it, it's like, whoa, um, we're going to do this, the, the worms because anyone can do the worms. Almost anyone can do the worms and the worm tea and the worm casting will probably touch on compost. But of course, cannabis has to come into the, uh, into the conversation. These are a few of the things that we're going to talk about in hour two. So that's it for hour one of episode 427. Hope to see you over at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com for the full two-hour, two-hour-plus episode. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.